few weeks ago, I guess it's been a little over a month ago now, uh, Brother Robert Hendricks preached a message that posed the question uh, that we all need to ask, and that is, who is Jesus? Um, you know, who do you say that I am? And that is a, a perfect introduction to this new series that we're going to be starting today in the book of John, looking at the I am statements of Christ. Uh, when we look at the book of John, uh, we see leading up to John chapter 6, where we're going to be today, and throughout the book, really, uh, John kind of has us on uh, a vitamin, I mean, a diet of vitamins, two vitamins mainly. One is the miracles of Jesus, and the other is the statements of Jesus, what, what he says about himself. And as we look at the first five chapters, first part of chapter 6, uh, we see leading into this chapter, Jesus is performing miracles. He is showing who he is by his actions. And then he begins in chapter 6 showing who he is by his statements, declaring who he is, the I am statements. And through the miracles, through parables, his teachings, the I am statements, we begin to see uh, who Jesus is and what he does, what he came to do, what his purpose was. He's been working miracles with power and authority, and now he begins to speak about who he is with just as much power and authority. So he's asking the question, and the question that we all need to ask at some point in my, our lives, hopefully you've already answered this question, uh, but if you haven't, you need to answer the question, who is Jesus really? And you think about the scene where he's doing all of these things. He's gaining a reputation he, for miracles and now for teaching. He's making these, these statements. And, and the question has to be going around, who is this miracle worker? Who is Jesus really? And John's primary purpose, the book of John, is all about getting people to know who Jesus is. His goal is that people would know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. That's what his, his goal is. Look at, at the end of John, the book of John, in chapter 20. He says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And then verse 31, but these are written, what he's recorded is written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. His goal was that the world, the entire world, would know and believe that Jesus is the Christ. We see that in his actions, Jesus' actions, we see that he's the Christ, and we hear it in his declarations, his statements, the I am statements. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ and answering the question, who is Jesus really? Uh, Jesus speaks from the backdrop of these miracles, these actions. Actions really declare our identity, don't they? I mean, you know, we can say one thing and do something else. And so what we, how we live shows who we really are. And Jesus gives us who he is on full display, we get to see his life. And then he also declares with his words who he is. The I am statements of Jesus declare who he is and who he is drastically changes who we are. And that's something we need to, to kind of zero in on. 
Because in answering the question of who is Jesus, it is going to change who you are. If you accept who he really is, who he shows that he is, who he claims to be, it is going to change who you are. Through the, these seven statements, the I am statements of his identity, Jesus shows us who he is. Put another way, it changes us. The I am, this is not original to me. Greg Matt said this, the I am changes who I am. Uh, and it does. Jesus changes everything. He did when he entered the world, and when he enters my life, he changed everything. So when we look at this, when we see the I am statements, we need to first understand that, that he's what he's claiming to be, right? I mean, when we see this statement, I am, for today, I am the bread of life. When you hear that, that statement, I am, if you know the Bible, where does your mind immediately go? In Genesis, when, when Moses was called by God, the burning bush. God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh. The people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. And God says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, he asked God what? He says, well, who, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh who sent me? I mean, who, who am I supposed to tell him told me to do this? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. And that statement, I am, is, is the name of God, the covenant name of God, but in the present tense, that he is, the continual sense that he is. He has been, he is, he always will be. He is God, the I am. And so when Jesus makes this statement, I am, he is declaring that the God of the New Testament, Jesus, is the same God of the Old Testament, that he is, yes, the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, but he is the one and only God. This is a statement of his identity as our God, the one and only true God. And so there's more here than just the characteristics of a person, the characteristics of a great person, a good teacher. It is either 100% blasphemy or it is salvation come to man. It is God, Emmanuel, God with us. He's declaring himself to be God, unquestionably showing that he is the Son of God through what he's done, what he is doing, and now what he's saying, as John records for us. We all have to make the decision. Who is Jesus? Who is he really? Is he who he says he is? You can't say he's just a good teacher. You can't say he's a good person because if, if, if you accept what he says, he's either a lunatic He's a liar or he is God because he says clearly that he is God. So who is Jesus really? Because if I accept who he truly is, it's going to change who I am. In John chapter 6, we see this first statement. He says, I am the bread of life. The first I am statement. And if you go back to the beginning of John chapter 6, you see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus, Right? And, and we see that he takes five loaves, two fish, and he multiplies that to feed 5,000 men plus women and children with 12 baskets full left over. So he takes five small loaves, two fish, and he multiplies that and fills the people eat till they're full and then they have left over. They are full. And what you have to understand is that these people that he's feeding probably haven't had a complete meal in a while. We're used to three full meals a day, right? And then snacks in between. 
okay? These folks were lucky if they got one full meal a day. And so they've had their bellies full, and they have seen leftovers. They never see leftovers. We eat a meal and eat leftovers for a couple of days afterwards, right? They don't know what leftovers are. They are full. They've had more than their fill, and they are amazed by this. And so Jesus, the next day, they find out that he has crossed the river into Capernaum, and they, the day has passed, okay, several hours have passed, and you, they're starting to get hungry again. And so a lot of the folks follow him across the Sea of Galilee, and they are looking for him. They're looking for another meal. Some of them may have been seeking him for the right reasons, but they, they want more food. So they follow Jesus, and he, he knows their reason for coming, and he talks about he gave them food. Then he begins to talk about how he's also going to, he uses this as a backdrop to introduce himself as the bread of life and what all that means. He talks about physical food that spoils and spiritual that endures for all of eternity. He talks about his relationship with the Father. He compared their forefathers receiving manna from heaven from God through Moses to them receiving eternal manna, the bread of life through him. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, he, he gradually suggests their need he, for this, this true bread, the bread of life. And he describes it in such a way to where you see the climax just before verse 35, where they are begging, practically demanding this true bread that he is describing. And then in verse 30, 35, they're they're, they're here. He's ready. He's reached the point, and he says, I am the bread of life. What, where is this true bread? Where can we get it? He says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. What is he saying? Well, there's some lessons we can learn from this, this statement that changes if we accept it, who we are. The first is this, Jesus provides real satisfaction. He announces that he's the bread of life because we are all hungry and we need to be full. Physically, they were getting hungry again. They liked that feeling of being full. I do too, don't you? And here in a little while, we're going to feel that feeling. After we get done here, we'll all go eat lunch and we'll be full. Some of you go home, take a nap. Some of you do something else. But we like that feeling. It's satisfying, but it's only temporary. And that you see how he set this up perfectly. As always, Jesus' timing's perfect. He has done this miracle. It wasn't just about feeding a bunch of hungry people. Yes, he does provide for our needs, but he's setting up this I am statement. He's setting the scene to teach them about something that's far more important than temporary physical food. They follow him. Many were, who were in the crowd hearing this I am statement were there with him the day before, had their fill. They were getting hungry again, and he tells them that that is only temporary. He's setting up this greater lesson. And the crowd at Capernaum came to find someone to satisfy their stomachs, but Jesus is trying to convince them that they need a greater satisfaction. He's showing them their greater need for satisfaction because a full stomach is temporary. We're going to, how many of you ate breakfast this morning? All right. I'm talking about food all day and y'all are going to be looking at me with mean looks here in a little bit because you're going to be ready to go, right? Why? Because you're going to get hungry again. Some of you already are. That's because a full stomach is temporary, right? But 
Jesus says, hey, you're starting to get hungry again. Let me tell you about food that will, will never leave you hungry, that will satisfy you for all of eternity. Any worldly source, there's a greater lesson here than physical food, any worldly source of satisfaction will eventually leave you empty. It may satisfy you temporarily, but eventually you're going to be hungry for something more because we were made for more. We were created for, for eternity. God put eternity in the hearts of men. We were made for more than this temporary existence. And so anything worldly is going to leave you hungry. And Jesus is interested in giving you so much more than what this world can provide. He's interested in giving you and me so much more than we can achieve on our own. That temporary satisfaction that runs out, he wants to give you something that will never leave you hungry. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus talks a lot about our soul level, level hunger. And, and his provision when he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Don't hunger and thirst for temporary things. It's okay to want things. It's okay to enjoy life and enjoy things. But our hunger and our thirst should be for righteousness. Because if we seek him, seek his kingdom above all else, everything will be added to us. What does that mean? Well, that means that we will have all that we need because we're seeking the right things. And Jesus longs to give us things that will satisfy eternal things, himself, and making us like himself, and fulfilling the purpose that he's given us. We will be satisfied. We should hunger and thirst for his righteousness, just like a starving man hungers for food and a thirsty man thirsts for water. That should be our desire, our desire for Jesus. That's how strong it should be. So the question is, who is Jesus? And the second question is, is do we really do that? Those folks knew what hunger was. They knew what it was like to not know where their next meal was coming from. Some of you may know that, but most of us don't know that feeling. And I'm grateful for that. All right? But, but they knew what it was to be hungry, to be really, really hungry and thirsty. Do we really seek God, desire Jesus with that same enthusiasm, with that same sense of despair? Are we desperate for the righteousness that only Jesus can provide? Because if we seek that, if we're truly desperate for that, Jesus will satisfy that. And it will never, that satisfaction never runs out. He knew that these people needed to experience true, full satisfaction. They, they needed more than just a full stomach. They needed a full soul. And he knew that only he could provide that. Because a stomach full stomach lasts a couple of hours, a full soul lasts eternity beyond a lifetime. In the lives of people and in our lives now, Jesus provides more than our needs. Yes, he provides your needs and he enjoys doing that because he's a father who loves you. All right. But he provides for more than our needs. He provides for eternity. To be satisfied deeply in our souls means that we never run out of nourishment. It means that we've discovered the abiding life of resting in Christ. It means seeking God's approval, not man. It means desiring righteousness, not praise. It means re resting in the irony that my failures are often God's victories because grace becomes more meaningful to me. Perfection is not the goal anymore. 
If I'm resting in pursuing the righteousness of God, if I'm resting in the satisfaction of, of Christ, perfection's not the goal anymore. Knowing him is the goal and making him known, becoming more like him, more of him in my life is the goal and less of me is the goal. Faithfulness is now my pursuit. I'm not trying to be moral. It's not about effort. It's not about achievements. I'm trusting him from day to day and living in his power and strength. And he's living through me. That's what changes. That's how the I am changes who I am when I trust in him and feed on him as the bread of life. Satisfaction means that I'm not searching anymore. And because I was never searching in the first place, truly, I could never find what I was looking for. I'm not searching because I've now been found and I've been redeemed. And my life is full and satisfying. And I'm in the process of being changed. The I am is changing who I am each and every day. Now, I want you to, to think about it this way, all right? It's a cruel day for me to use food, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm talking about uh, the bread of life. But I've got a couple of different eggs here, okay? And I'm about 99% sure I've got these right, but we're about to find out which is which. <laughs> We're going to find out in a minute. That's part of what makes this fun, right? You never know. I've got two different eggs here, and these eggs look pretty similar. They look very similar, actually, but in fact, they are pretty different. And the question is, which is which? Now, I can't really even tell by doing this, but I'm sure you can guess one of these has been through a process that changed it, right? Can any of you guess? One of them's hard-boiled, and one of them's not. Now, I don't want to get mess all over my Bible, but I want you guys to be able to see this. So we're going to, I think I know which is which, but we're going to find out, okay? Are y'all ready? Does anybody want to come sit down front while I do this? <laughs> How about, I'm going to throw it to you, see if you can catch it, see if you can find out. All right, so let's find out. All right, I think I know which one this one is, but let's see. Yep, this one is the raw egg. All right, now who, who's hungry now? Rocky's not here today, right? Nobody's training for a fight, okay? All right? That's what we expect with an egg. You know, you look at it, you can't tell. But, of course, you know, and again, I hope I've got this right. We're about to find out. But, all right, this one's a little different, right? I can make a mess with this one. This one is ready to eat. I mean, I guess you can eat that. It's pasteurized, so it's probably not going to hurt you. But I don't know if I would take a chance. I'm not going to peel the whole thing. I'll clean up my mess later. But this one is, can take a little bit more of a beating. It's changed. And what's different about this one versus this one? What's, what truly is, has been changed about it? The inside. It's been changed from the inside out. Now, how was it changed? That's just as important of a question. How was it changed? Through boiling, right? And, and how long? How long does it take to boil an egg. I, I, Mandy and the kids did this for me last night. I don't remember how long it takes to boil an egg. How long? Huh? Seven minutes. Seven to ten, depending on how hard you like your egg, right? How firm you like your egg or how cooked. So it takes a few minutes, right? And the, that's not counting getting the water to a bowl. So you got time. You got some time in the heat. So sometimes God changes us through heat. But what is the egg surrounded by? By water. All right, it's got to be enveloped in the water. You can't hold it above the water. Number one, you'll burn yourself to steam, but it's not going to boil it. It's not going to change it. It's got to be enveloped in the water. 
Sometimes it's heat. And sometimes it's time. It involves time. But the key is that it's surrounded. If you and I want to be changed from the inside out, we've got to spend time surrounded, enveloped by the living water, Jesus Christ. And if we do that, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, he will change us from the inside out. And I could destroy that egg. Even I could eat that egg and destroy it. I don't really like boiled eggs, but I could if I wanted to. Nothing can destroy what Jesus Christ does in and through you when he changes you from the inside out. It's eternal. Bread will leave you hungry, physical bread, but the bread of life will never leave you hungry. Another lesson we learn is that Jesus knows our real motives. Yeah, it's so great when you look through it. It's great, but it's also a little terrifying when you see it. Jesus sees into the heart of these people. And again, when you put all of chapter 6 together and that most of those people there were there the day before, or at least many of them were, and, and, and they are just, he, he knows they're coming looking for another meal. They're not really seeking him for the right motives. And so he sees that. He knows that. He knows their hearts. And, and it's, it's awesome when you see that because God just, just reaches right into the hearts of men and he sees their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. But it's also terrifying because I, my, my soul is bare before the Lord, right? I can't hide from him. All of the thoughts that I have, all of my motives, he knows. I can't fool him. I can fool other people, but I can't fool him. And so he sees us. He knows us. And he knows whether or not our motives are real. Look at verse 26. Of John 6. Jesus says, I assure you, you who are looking for me, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Their minds should have been fixed on Jesus, but they were fixed on food. They had mixed motives for following Jesus. Their simple search for food in that process of searching for that food, people were prone to miss the greater blessing. Our culture today is really no different. People look in all sorts of directions, all sorts of places for satisfaction, for contentment, for peace. And in our search, we try to fill our lives with all kinds of things. But we need to all ask ourselves, what are we, what are we really looking to for satisfaction? Because if we're looking to things, we're going to be left empty. We're prone, we're liable to miss the most important thing. Our culture is is reaching desperately for what Jesus is offering here in John chapter 6. We all need the question, those of us who, who follow Christ need to ask this question, why am I following Christ? Because people follow Jesus for the wrong motives, right? I mean, these people are following Jesus for food. Well, what, what are we doing? Why are we following? I mean, some people, you know, you, maybe you've experienced that, that you, Jesus can meet your needs, can satisfy your needs. And yes, that is true, but he wants to offer you more than that, more than just meeting your needs. The truth is following Jesus is life-giving because he brings satisfaction to our souls, not just our needs. You know, some people come to church out of habit, I've said this before, I think that the pandemic has, has revealed that, you know, because it got people out of the habit of going to church. I think some people go to church to relieve guilt. You know, there's sin in your life or, or there's something you're doing, and one of the ways you can make yourself feel a little better about how you lived last week is to go to church on Sunday. Some people look at it as, you know, a point in the, in the good column versus the bad, so they go out of habit. You know, some people go to church for business opportunities. So you can make connections at church, right? Some people go to church to meet a spouse. 
And hey, listen, that's a good place to find a spouse. I met mine at church, okay? So that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your sole purpose in going, you're going to miss out on the greater blessing. You're going to miss out on truly knowing Christ and worshiping him. Here's the bottom line. If our motives are mixed in our pursuit of Jesus, we will miss the greater blessing, and that's Jesus himself. You know, a lot of people miss out on Jesus because they're looking for Jesus. They're too busy looking in the wrong places, or they're following him for the wrong reasons. And he's saying, I want to give you something greater than what you're trying to fill your life with. Maybe beyond all of those reasons, you have realized the blessing of knowing him and being known by him, of fellowship with him, of true worship corporately and with my life. Maybe you have learned that only Jesus Christ can truly bring you the contentment and peace that you so desperately seek. Everything else in this life will fall short. You know, as these folks gather around Jesus, he knew that a filled heart is completely different than a full stomach. A filled stomach is temporary. A filled heart is eternal. And he, he longed. Jesus longed to show them what that satisfaction really was. That was what he, he wanted them. For God so loved the world. You know, God desires that all men be saved. He longed for them to experience this true satisfaction. Any worldly, temporary pursuit will leave you empty. And listen, even noble pursuits, ministries, if they're not, if they're not birthed from a relationship with Christ and a desire to know him, Above all else, even great pursuits in life can leave you empty if Christ is not at the center. You know, there are a lot of things in life that satisfy and a lot of things that don't satisfy. I think about, you know, we, we've, we're just kind of getting through ending the hottest time of the year, aren't we? You know, you get outside, you work out in the hot sun, you sweat. You know, you do, some of you may work outside every day. Um, if you do yard work or do a long, hard day's work, we, uh, I, I shared uh, that uh, my parents just sold the house that I grew up in. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we, I was helping my dad clean out the attic of that old house, and the air conditioner is not working in that house anymore. Plus, the attic is the attic, and it was a, an extremely hot day. And we were in and out of that attic. And I, I think I drank more water that day than I have in a long time. A little bit of Gatorade mixed in, too, just to make sure. But it was hot. And when you get in that, that position, when you've, when you've been sweating and you've been working, you know, if I had to come down out of the attic or, or, or whatever in that house and, and my mom was there and she handed me a nice, lukewarm glass of water, I probably would have drank it because I didn't have anything else. But that doesn't really satisfy, does it? Maybe, maybe she decided to play a cruel joke on me and said, all right, here's you a nice glass of water and didn't tell me she filled it with salt first. Ugh. You imagine being desperately thirsty, taking a nice big swig of salt water. No, when we are truly thirsty, what do we want? Nice cold glass of water. Hmm? And a wall highway cup, right? <laughs> just, just to show. You like that? Nathan likes that. We want cold water, don't we? Well, ice cold water. You know, in other parts of the country, they don't, uh, in other parts of the world, they don't use ice like we do. I don't know what, what the deal is with that. I love an ice cold glass of water because it satisfies. Salt water is not going to do it. 
Lukewarm water is not going to do it. Cold water does it. Well, and, and take that in a spiritual sense. You know, lukewarm Christianity is not going to do it. You know, salty pursuits, you know, pursuits that aren't quite where you need to be spending your time, that's not going to do it. Only the living water, a nice cold drink of the living water that lasts for eternity. That truly satisfies. It's only when we fully accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and allow His strength, His peace, His joy to fill our lives, His grace, His mercy, His teachings to change us, to fill us, to mold us, and to shape us, to change us from the inside out. It's only when that happens that we truly experience that we truly take in the bread of life. Great study. We don't have time to get into it. Later on in the chapter, Jesus tells them that they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Is he talking about cannibalism? No. What, when, when you're talking about eating, you're talking about taking something in, right? You're talking about it, it becoming a part of who you are and changing you. He's talking about receiving himself, truly accepting Jesus and all that that means. You know, all that we talked about in surrender, Right, all that we talked about in making him Lord, he say, he's saying that unless you receive me fully, you can't receive him halfway or partway. Make him truly Lord of your life. Unless we do that, we will never experience the satisfaction that he's offering. He's saying, receive me fully. And I encourage you to go look at those verses and do a study on that later on at the end of John chapter six. He's telling us though that we need to receive him complete satisfaction complete and total contentment in our beings can only come when we fully accept him when we receive him as lord and savior and accept him as lord of our lives each day our motive for following jesus has to be to know him and to make him known to truly know him and grow in him and then to help others know him and grow in him that has to be our pursuit that has to be our goal that's what he's called us to the great commission there no there are no exemptions from that leading people to christ and discipling people in christ as i am a disciple myself when you and i do that what we find is that loving him becomes living for him it's not about pursuing the right things. It's not about doing the right things. It's not even about the service we're performing. Our service flows out of our love for him. Loving him becomes living for him. A God-glorifying life flows out of a satisfied soul. When God satisfies, when Jesus satisfies me with this bread of life with himself, and I find satisfaction in that, then I find what I'm searching for. I know what my life needs to be about. I'm pursuing the right things because I'm pursuing him. And then my life glorifies him, which should be all of our desire. We should desire to glorify God with our lives. The next lesson, Jesus offers real life. He knows our motives. He offers satisfaction. And in that, if we can get past our own obstacles, our own selves, if we can allow him to expose who we are and we are honest with God, our motives are now pure, we get to experience real life. Again, up to this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been showing people who he is. He's been performing all these, these miracles with, with power. And, and he's showing through what he does, his authority, his ability to change the status quo physically, I mean, to heal, uh, to perform miracles, feeding the 5,000. I mean, making something out of nothing or a whole lot out of very little. He, he's showing his authority over his creation, who he is and his authority. 
You know, we learn so much about Jesus just by watching, reading the Gospels and watching his life. And I'm so thankful that he lived his life for everybody to see because we have the testimony of his life. We could learn all we needed to know even just by watching what he did, reading what he did. But thankfully, he goes beyond that to tell us who he is, to proclaim who he is. So we have it in his actions, but then we also have it in his words. He tells us very clearly out of his identity, we can come to understand who we are because he tells us who he is and reveals to us who he is. In John 6, Jesus makes a statement of identity. The people gather together. They're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They gather around him. He begins to tell them about who he is, and it changes, and how that can change who they are. He addresses their hunger. Verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And then he continues to the statement that we've already read in John six thirty five. I am the bread of life. With all the backdrop now, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. The day before he had fed them more than they could eat with plenty left over, now they've come to him for from, from more. Again, the next day they're starting to get hungry again, or already are. And then he says, let me show you real bread. You know, and it's interesting, and I don't believe God makes mistakes. Do you? I believe he's intentional, and I think this is intentional. He was born in Bethlehem. Does anybody know what that means? The house of bread. And he's saying that I am the bread of life. So many people may have thought his birth was insignificant or where he was born. But the house of bread, God chose that place to bring into this world the bread of life, eternal life. A lot of people, all of us at times, will run after whatever we can, false gods. None of you, I'm sure, have a statue or an altar at your house that represents some other god that you bow and worship to, but we all fill our lives with little g-gods if we're not careful. We run after things that we won't satisfaction from. We're looking for peace. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for hope. We're looking for anything to make the pain of life, the struggles of life, a little more dull, a little less sharp, a little less painful. I mean, we're looking for things to bring satisfaction. We're looking for answers for our children, for our grandchildren, whatever the case may be, for our marriages. We're pursuing all these little G-gods and looking in our careers or our material possessions or maybe substances or our relationships. Let me tell you, uh, if you're looking for any human relationship in any human relationship that you have, for someone to meet the needs that only God can, it's never going to happen. You know, I love my wife with all of my heart, and I would do anything. I would give my life for her, and she meets my needs in so many different ways, ministerially, emotionally. I mean, she is there for me, and I have no doubt that she loves me 100% and believes she would give her life for me. But I know there are some things within me, needs that I have that she cannot meet, and she knows that there are needs that she has that I cannot meet because Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet those needs. So even relationships, as great as they are and given to us by God, as beautiful as they are, if you're looking in any area in this world for complete contentment and satisfaction, you will never, ever find it. Believing in something means that you rest everything on it. 
To believe that Jesus is the bread of life is to have faith that he is who he says he is. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, faith is believing that Christ is what he is said to be, that he will do what he has promised to do, and then expecting this of him. You look at the promises of God and who he is, it's okay to expect him to be who he says he is and to do what he says he's going to do. We get into trouble when we expect him to do what we say he should do instead of submitting to him and pursuing him and letting him fill us up and show us what we are supposed to do and what he wants to do. A relationship with Jesus sustains us. We'll spend our lives looking everywhere else and feeling empty without fulfillment unless we realize that. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can sustain us. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah speaks about our hunger for ultimate satisfaction. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and you, without money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? You're pursuing all these things that don't satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of food. He's talking about what Jesus is talking about here, finding true satisfaction. The things of the world clamor for our attention. They beg for our our affection, our loyalty, and we give it to them. And we find at the end of those pursuits, emptiness, being satisfied in the bread of life allows for other things in our life to find their rightful place. If you're having trouble organizing, prioritizing your life, maybe you need to start here. Because finding satisfaction in Jesus alone, true satisfaction, allows you to put all that other stuff in its proper place. That's how you have a God-honoring life. That's how loving the Lord turns into living a life for the Lord that glorifies Him. No other relationship can satisfy. When our souls are deeply content in Christ, we begin to live life as God intended, fulfilling His purpose. We all have a purpose. Our souls long for what's really good, and since Jesus is perfectly good, we can spend a lifetime enjoying Him. By the way, we get to spend eternity enjoying him because he is eternally satisfying. And as we begin to believe that truly, then we start to live differently. The I am changes who I am and how I live. A life that knows what it's like to be satisfied by the bread of life begins to live and serve others to the glory of God. Charles Allen wrote a book called God's Psychiatry. And in that book, he talked about how there were so many orphans after World War II. Um, and, and, and in Europe, and they were overwhelmed. And so the allies began to, to set up orphanages and take care of these, these orphans. And these orphans had been, of course, devastated. There were camps all over where they just basically, they were orphanages, camps set up for that. And so they, they began to, to take care of these kids who had lost their parents, had been through tragedy. Many of them uh, had been desperately hungry, had been starving. And so they began immediately to meet their needs, right? They were feeding them. Uh, giving them food, giving them shelter, giving them water, plenty to drink, you know, nourishment, medicine, whatever they needed. But what they found out is that these kids, now listen, they're giving them full meals all day, every day, and, and they're, you know, consistently providing for their needs. But what they found out is that bedtime became a nightmare for these kids. They would just freak out. I mean, they, they would panic. They would have meltdowns. They would they, I mean, they just, they were, were act, they wouldn't sleep through the night. They would scream and all this sort of stuff. And so somebody came up with an idea. They took all of the kids 
and they gave them one piece of bread to take to bed with them. And suddenly the kids were sleeping through the night. No more panics, no more meltdowns at bedtime. I'm sure there were a few for other reasons. But overall, there was peace in the camps. And the reason there was peace in the camps because the kids went to bed knowing that they would have something to eat the next day. They knew that they would be taken care of because they had been starved. They knew what it was like to be abandoned. They knew what it was like to go without. They knew what it was like to not know how they were going to be taken care of. And suddenly they knew, okay, well, if all else fails, I've got this. I'm going to be taken care of. But you know what? They could wake up that next morning, eat that bread, and it would be gone. So they had to have it again the next night, every night, night after night after night after night. That's how it is in life. You can find satisfaction. You can find something that makes you feel really good for a little while. A relationship, a substance, a career, a possession. And it'll make you feel good. Hey, I like, I like my toys. I've told you I like electronics. Boy, I love pushing those buttons and seeing them light up. Makes me happy. Makes me feel good. Makes Mandy want to hit me with something when I fill her living room with a new speaker or something. But, you know, it gets old after a while. So I sell it and I buy something else. And that's okay in its proper place. But that thing, that shiny, flashy thing, eventually doesn't make me as happy as it did when I first got it out of the box and plugged it in and saw that nice, colorful light or whatever. It leaves me empty after a while. That piece of bread will be gone the next day. But Jesus said, here, let me give you true bread that lasts for all of eternity. If you will take me, if you will accept me, if you will allow me to take you over, to envelop you, to consume you, to fill you, then you will never, ever go hungry. Three choices we have with who Jesus is. You see three different groups represented or three different people and or groups here. You have the 11 Look through, read through the end of the chapter. You've got, Jesus refers to the 12th. You have the 11 who accepted him and believed. You, you, they didn't fully understand yet, but you can kind of see, you know, it's kind of all coming together, right? You know, the, the, the crowd leaves and, and, and they choose to stay. You've got the 11 who believe and accept. You've got the one who pretends, who follows Jesus, but for the wrong reasons and ends up empty. And then you've got the multitude that left. That didn't get it, right? You've got the group, the crowd that left. So those are the three choices. Either I can accept Jesus for who he is and receive the bread of life. I can say I follow him, do it for the wrong reasons and never truly believe. Or I can reject him and spend my life pursuing satisfaction and never finding it. So what choice do you make? Have you made that choice? And if you're confronted with, you're being confronted with that choice today, what choice do you make? Will you receive true satisfaction? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There aren't many paths. There aren't alternatives. It's through Christ alone. But in Christ, you can find salvation. You can find freedom from sin, and you can find true satisfaction that lasts for all of eternity. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for providing us with a way to know what satisfaction really is.
Jesus, you gave your life on the cross. You died to pay the price for our sins, a price that we could not pay. Your word tells us all have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and that includes all of us. And the wages, the payment for that sin is death, separation from you for all of eternity. But God, the free gift that you give through your son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, your death and your resurrection is eternal life. And if we put our faith and trust in you, if we invite you into our lives, if we surrender to you and ask you to forgive us and to take over, to give us that gift of salvation, you will give it freely. But then, Lord, we have to surrender daily and allow you to do your work because you change us instantly, but then you change us daily as you sanctify us. And it's only when we live for you and we trust in you and we pursue you and allow you to change us and fill us and direct us that we find true satisfaction. Because even as believers, we can pursue the wrong things and we can spend our lives looking in the wrong areas and finding emptiness, but we can find satisfaction in you. Lord, which of those three groups do we fall into? Those categories. Are we truly following you? Do we know you? Do we know you and are we following you for the wrong reasons or are we just proclaiming you and and, and following you, saying we're following you, but not really believing? Or have we rejected you completely, blatantly? But whatever it is, whatever group, whatever category the folks here, the folks watching at home or wherever they are, whatever category they fall into, Lord, just speak into our hearts right now and show us how we need to respond during this time of commitment. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?